He's Aaron. She's Elizabeth. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're back, hon. I kinda of thought after last week's episode, divorce proceedings were in our future. <laughs> <laughs> what made you think that? Like I don't... Oh, you know, you know, you know, you come in with these differing opinions to popular thought and People get really mad at you, and you forget that your husband's a living human being who, of course, loves you for all your flaws, no matter what. <laughs> all your flaws. All, all of, of us, them. Including, love it, including enjoying, for while it was on, a mediocre show. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's why I think today's going to be fun. Because yeah. it's fun to talk about stuff we disagree on, but it's also fun to talk about stuff we really like. And finally, since it's fall, it is fall. They told it us so. It is officially fall. 85, we don't degrees, feel it. 85 degrees outside and yeah, fall. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, tired of, I'm tired of sweating in my Halloween costume. I know. It's every year like that. We're getting rained on. Yeah. If it's not if it's not hot, it's raining. Yep. Never went on that one. But that's okay. Because I'm really excited that we get to finally talk about Halloween movies. When I say Halloween movies, I don't necessarily mean movies that take place at Halloween. Because then we get into the whole die-hard argument of Christmas movies, and we don't want to play that game right now. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to talk about movies of the season, ones that are fun to watch when the nights get long and dark and are creepy or fun and enjoyable in that wonderful fall atmosphere way. There's, um, like with Christmas movies or movies that take place at Christmas, there's a huge list, and I, I feel like every year, um... Uh, or as the years go on, uh, that Halloween that the list for Halloween movies continue to grow. There's there's not too many Thanksgiving movies. Like there are movies that people watch at Thanksgiving because it's a family tradition, or they just it's just it's fun for them to watch. Like, but besides like planes, trains, and automobiles, there's not really a, a Thanksgiving movie list. Or if it is, it's five strong. Yeah, that's true. Whenever I think of Thanksgiving, I think of football. No mm -hmm. movie springs to mind at all. Well, actually, what I like, what my family likes to do is uh, on Thanksgiving, we'll eat and then we'll go watch a movie, mm. or we'll watch a movie and then come back and like go like, to the dinner. movies, which yeah, is, which is fun. Yeah, it's, it's our that. it's our family tradition, which we haven't done it too much the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> well, we have we've had Thanksgivings to go to. Oh, probably because I was gonna say because of my family, because um, hmm. your family likes to you know you had a smaller family, so when you were growing up, it's like. We have our little thing. Maybe one of the parents is working. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe go see a movie in the theaters. Go out. Do something fun. But for my family, it's now like 12 strong. Oh, gosh. And keeps yeah. growing. And <laughs> Three people versus, at the minimum, five. And then add on cousins. And, and siblings. And, and have you tried taking 12 people to the movie theater? Ain't working. It, it's possible, but it's not easy. Hell expensive. <laughs> so... Um, do, uh, another a side note, apologize, uh, we are trying to record this and eat at the same time. We're trying to fit everything into the appropriate schedule. You know, so. that's how much we care about you guys. Yeah. It's very important that we record these by Thursday every week like clockwork, otherwise you will turn us viciously. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've got... Don't try talking when you have a mouthful of food, Aaron. That's rule number one. Sorry, I I I thought this bite was a lot smaller than it was. Um, so <laughs> it was like one of those uh, sensory videos where we talk. Oh yeah, real close. We are, we are at least foot and a half away from the mic each, so we don't get the. 
sounds. <laughs> yeah, we just got it with that. Except for that one. That was to uh, exemplify the point we're trying to make yes. here. Yes. Well, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> we are Our, never going to get on topic today. I'm, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to direct this to. We, we, um, we made a decision, and we wanted to kind of save Halloween time, fall-esque movies for the month of October. Aaron um, is very anti-getting ahead of schedule on your holidays. I, I mean, it's it already hurts a little bit to do it in October versus trying to wait until, you know, actually like the week before Halloween. But I've, I've discovered that if I push it too late to the point, I almost kind of miss the bus. Yep. And I don't get to celebrate it as much. Um, because I feel like, I think it was like last year for Christmas, I pushed too much, like try to push it too far back. And by the time... I was actually listening to Christmas music and everything like that. I, I didn't enjoy it as much because I didn't get as much time to enjoy it. Well, that's what I liked what we did last year uh, where we had a little advent calendar that I got over at like one of the craft shops. And I said, all right, uh, you get the even days, I get the odd days. And every day we'd think of something fun to do for Christmas. And it didn't have to be like a big go out, spend lots of money to go ice skating sort of thing. It could be, I have a really terrible joke and some candy in here for when you wake up. <laughs> <laughs> or um, well, we make sugar cookies one night or something like something. Something fun. Yeah. yeah, and um, should we do the same thing for Halloween this year? No, no, we don't. Are have you time. sure? You, we do, do not have time. Do you insinuate, Aaron, that we live every day like it's Halloween already because we dress in costumes, speak like characters, and enjoy the macabre? Ooh, long silence. As I take a drink of water. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I, 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 it's it's a bit of my father in me where I try to. Um, I want to celebrate the holiday, but I want to celebrate it at the holiday. I don't want to celebrate Christmas in August. Yes, there are actually Christmas trees out before Halloween decorations. What the hell, America? It does make me sad. For technically, for Catholics, Christmas doesn't even start until December 25th, and then we get to roll for like another two weeks on this yeah, train. It's fun for us. So it's like, 12, yeah, keep going. 12 days of Christmas is actually after Christmas. It's not leading up to Christmas. Exactly. And so it's fun. Like, yeah, let's keep doing stuff. And everyone's like, no, it's over. I'm like, what do you mean it is over? There's still all the, these days we left. We have all of these things to return. There's so much after Christmas shopping. But, nah, uh, nah. <laughs> uh, so this week is a little interesting, um, because, uh, as you have seen from our promo picture, uh, we are doing, um, three of the more well-known Leica movies. I think there's about one to two, there's one definite, but there's one, and there may be one more Leica movie, um, that we're not talking about today. Now, Aaron, for the listener at home, if they are not aware, what is Leica? Leica is a production company uh, that specializes in stop motion. Similar to Pixar is 3D animation. Uh, Leica, actually, I don't know as much history about Leica as I would want, but I know they started um, with Coraline. Cor I think Coraline was their first major production. Which is good for me to know. Major production. I kind of thought not being familiar with the world of motion animation, that was actually a nightmare before Christmas. But they, it has nothing to do Yeah, they with actually were released under Touchstones, which is under the Disney umbrella, because they weren't sure if kids would actually like it. And of course, nowadays, it is a freaking, it is freaking everywhere, especially if you go into Hot Topic. Um, There's and, something interesting about the stop motion that isn't like a, the ones we'll talk about today, the Leica productions, they aren't all, um... Scary, even. Some of them are actually, they are they are cool and, like, terrifying, but not in a 
creepy hot topic sort of way, which is what I feel like Never Before Christmas and Frank and Weenie all capitalize on. Which is both is. Tim Burton, which has that kind of otherworldly kind of uh, feel to them. So, I and I can see that. And I think the, actually, the connection there beyond just being stop motion, both being stop motion production, or, you know, these two being, and these three being um, stop motion, is actually the director of Nightmare Before Christmas either produced or directed Coraline as well. Mm-hmm. So, um... Did the, you know that the voice of Jack Skellington is Prince Humperdinck? Yeah. Oh, I knew that. But, but that his singing, singing voice is Danny Elfman. I knew! I knew you were going to say that. Yep. It was the Princess Bride 30th anniversary yesterday, so... Yeah, that makes sense. I know. Happy 30th, uh... Wallace Shawn, or uh, well, to everyone, including Wallace Shawn, Gary Ewells. We only say that because we just recently met Wallace Shawn. You, you got to, and you got to ask him a very cool question. He so said a very nice person. <laughs> he, he was a lot more withdrawn than I was expecting. Not, not in a bad sense by any means. He just was very, just kind of chill. Yeah, he, he was humble in like the best kind of way. In the, yeah. I'm coming to con. Why do you want me there? Yeah, you like, show I'm up, just... you have the second largest ballroom, everyone is screaming your name, like, this was unexpected. I'm I'm just a guy that does that says lines. I just do my job. You're really excited about that? Or on stage. Like he's uh he it was very it was very interesting. So um but Leica uh Leica has gotten because it does get compared to like Nightmare Before Christmas um, Frankie and Weenie, and there are some other stop motion stuff out there, but stop motion is actually kind of a, uh, lesser known art now. Um, Robot Chicken is probably the most well known, uh, that does stop motion, and Seth Green and, uh, Matthew Seinrich actually still try to do other things in stop motion. They had one that was kind of a Voltron ripoff, which was okay. Um, it was funny, but and all the characters were assholes, so it was hard to <laughs> really support anybody. As with all stuff for adventures. But they do have another one. It's kind of like, um, uh, like, like Celebrity Big Brother or something like that, but with like made up superheroes and supervillains. Okay, I get you. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I haven't watched it myself yet, but I probably will because I'm, I actually really, really like Robot Chicken, and Robot Chicken has actually been heralded as keep helping keep the stop motion stuff alive. Um, and Leica, I would say, is another big reason because that's what they're consistently doing and they're consistently like improving and improving and improving. So, and what do you think of stop motion animation as a continuing art form for movies? I think as they as technology grows, I hope to see that stop motion co- continues it, at least at the same rate of growth that it's doing with like Leica and stuff like that. Um, there's a, um, a, a, whatchamacallit, a, a horror anthology series called ABCs of Death. Um, great little thing to watch, especially if you're looking for, um, something to show maybe like college students, uh, cause there is a ton of gore and a lot of times there's a ton of sex. Um, oh, baby. Yeah. Well, each, each interpretation is basically the whole concept of the ABCs of Death is that, um, 26 filmmakers are given a letter and they have to make a film on it there's no other things it can like i sure i'm sure they have like a time limit but some of them are shorter and some of them are longer um in fact one of the shorter ones i watched is actually from some of the guys who did a couple segments on the vhs series 
another great series. Well, okay, the first one was great, the second one was okay, the third one was like, bleh. But, um, they, they had one, and their letter was Q. And I feel like they specifically gave these guys, because they've already had some, like, experience, the letter Q, and they're like, like, literally, it's, the film is about them trying to come up with a film for the letter Q. But what does that have to do with stop motion? Sorry, sorry. Uh, thank you for getting me back on track because I was completely derailed. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, in I want to say in both movies, there's at least one stop motion and one animation. I feel like the first one had one stop motion and like two or three animated ones. Uh, oh, no, no, no. There was definitely one stop motion. What was it? No, it was animation. That was a, that was a weird one. Um... There, there is some very interesting um, different animation styles and different stop motion styles. But the one is uh, has done like music videos. So if you see it and you see the music videos, they look very similar. Uh, but that like you, people are still very much into stop motion. Would you say then that stop motion lends itself to creepier subject matter with the horror movies and with the movies we're discussing today as opposed to lighter fare? I think the audience and... Excuse me. The uh, um, the filmmakers themselves kind of decide that. I think with it's kind of like uh, the big question that uh, Nostalgia Crack always asks, and that you've now adopted into your repertoire as well. Um, why is it animated? What what is accomplished? And I think stop motion. It, you can apply that same um, t or question to stop motion, and I feel Leica is at the forefront of being able to show off we're not they're not doing stuff in stop motion just because they can they're doing st stop stuff in stop motion because they can and they make it look amazing um so i think uh that if they continue the same growth as they will with technology that like um again like robot chicken actually a guy took a power glove and like put a bluetooth receiver in it and he will actually set up certain shots with the power glove, so that way he literally he can make a shot with it, make a shot with his hands, hit the thing, do a shot. It's like it's like a wireless remote, but that he wears. It's really it's really neat. Um, but Leica has gotten recognition. I believe. I don't remember if Coraline was nominated for best animated feature, but Paranorman and uh, Kubo definitely one hundred percent were. Um, I feel bad for them sometimes. It feels like everything has to live in Disney's shadow. Even Pixar did before it jumped out, and even now it's kind of going through its own Disney sag with lots of sequels to mark to bank on profitable characters. Are you talking about Leica? No, no, no. Oh, sorry. sorry, Pixar. Yeah, Pixar. Pixar's even kind of they they'll have their uh, quote unquote uh, original properties and um, and you know original ideas like. Uh, the next one, um, well, besides Cars 3, the next one is a, a unique idea, I, th I thought. I don't um, remember. I just know that Disney's on an adjective kinda... title right now. Oh, Brave, Tangled, Brave. Tangled, Gigantic. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, unfortunately, and, oh, God, yeah, I know what the next one besides Cars is. The original property, Coco. 
Oh yeah, we're gonna have to talk about Coco yeah. definitely in November because there yeah, are that's gonna be one that we actually watch and like we, this, it's we, gonna be the first time I probably destroy a Pixar movie, which is going to hurt so hard. It's so. gonna hurt a lot, but when we get to it, you know why. When we saw this concept show for the first time, both of us like wait. I think we we're in the theater when we saw the, the preview. We both go, I, no, come on, Pixar. We'll tell you why later. Yeah. That, that's that's for a different type. So, um, Leica has gotten some recognition, but I believe I highly believe they need more. Leica, um, the the pro that the process of stop animation is a real time intensive one, mm -hmm. unlike any other form of animation. Uh, even drawing isn't quite so time intensive as actually setting up the shot in three sixty and filming and then move click move click. So I think I wonder if stop-motion animation doesn't have sequels or repeats of casts because if you're going to spend all that time and energy to make these characters for this film, you better tell the whole story. You'll want to tell the whole story because afterwards you need to retire these characters. It's like having a bunch yeah. of permits in the backup because they're going to run through puppets. Exactly. You need more. And, it's, and, and they do, especially for the main characters like Coraline, Paranorman, and even Kubo, I can guarantee you there's like... Backups upon backups upon backups. Mm -hmm. So, um, actually, because uh, you, you asked me about the growth, um, actually, 3D print, printing, 3D printing technology, as that has grown, has actually helped the stop motion. Uh, uh, I can definitely world. see that. Yeah, just uh, per, or Norman, like apparently, like he had multiple heads printed out for yeah. UDY. So that's a great way to do it. It's um. You can tell that character design has gotten more complex with the advent of technology that makes it easier to yeah. do things like that. Yeah, and we're in, um, and I, a big reason why I wanted to do this was be, uh, beyond uh, needing to actually watch Coraline, because uh, I had never actually seen it all the way through, um, but I also wanted to show off two Halloween movies and also give Laika some love, because they're, it's a great... Um, I. I have not seen uh, the box trolls, and we may do that later on, or do like a part two or something like that. Um, but I wanted to do this one pre-Halloween because Coraline and Paranorman have almost become Halloween staples now. Because one takes place during the fall, and the other one is that creepy movie that you can watch at any time of the year, but it's kind of a Halloween movie now. With the subject matter, so which one do you want to talk about first? Um, I actually have a specific order. Um, uh, we are going to talk about Kubo first. Excellent. We're going to talk. We're going to. This is and this is literally in this podcast is going to ease me into Halloween. So I'm excited. Um, we we can't decorate until next week, but nah. but we can at least start talking about Halloween. Well, so. Let's talk about it first. Uh, as we've said before, I suck with. So how do we want to play this? I'd like to be spoiler free because I'd like to describe the movie and talk about the movie, but I'd like to leave the plot as, well, we could be mild spoilers. How about that? We'll say mild spoilers. No twists. Yeah. No, no any twists. Yes. Um, yeah. Anything that you, almost anything you can see in a trailer, we'll, we'll stick with. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So we're, yeah, we'll start with Kubo. Um, Kubo is like his most recent property, and um, probably uh, their least experimental, but the most, I feel like the most, they had the most 
talent behind it or they like it's their most experience you can feel how experienced they are um because we went back and watched Coraline for the for this podcast and just in general too and um you can definitely see a difference in the quality animation especially for some faraway shots too um but uh Kubo uh was nominated for the best animation or Best animated movie uh, Oscar, uh, most recent one that or, or the one that it was for. I'm gonna say I think Kubo is my favorite of the three Leica films. I I can I can see that. Um, it yeah. tells a really compelling story that is told so rarely, but when told correctly, is most important. The other ones have themes too. Um, one is more for scares, with some morals. The other has a really important moral that fuels the entire plot of the story. But this one is a lot more quietly ambiguous, which I really do appreciate. It tackles themes like um, caring for your parents, your elders, even when you are the young one. It's more like caring for your family. Caring for yeah. family. Um, that there is no happy ending but the life that you've been dealt is beautiful in its own way even if people don't magically stay with you forever no matter what you are still granted a sense of peace by it there um the whole movie it, there's a weird sense of foreboding with family um, I would say, I would say all three of these movies have some sort of common theme, um, and you when like when you hear the common theme for or like when someone says, oh, this is a common theme for Paranorman, for Coraline, for Flaw, um, you know, it's it would make sense, but at the same time, how deep all three of these movies can delve into this this kind of overlying or central backbone theme of the entire movie, it, it gets, it gets real interesting. And I would have to, I have to admit though, it's not my favorite of the three. I complete, I, I would say the, uh, the, how they deal with the theme is probably the best. I find it important in the same way that inside out was important. Inside Out wasn't just about accepting growing up and learning to move on. It was about accepting that sadness is an integral part of your life. Yeah. And that is a crazy tricky theme to delve into. Exactly. And, like, it's not about, like, trying to deal with. It's actually about how you can mature by accepting things. And not, like, just accepting your fate. It's more so, like, learning how, okay, you can't avoid sadness. So... In, embrace it. Find the joy in sadness. I find Kubo, while not necessarily just being about sadness. Sorry, I had a really dirty thought. Oh, Aaron. Sorry, go on. It's a kid's movie. Yep. Anyways. Shame. <laughs> I find that Kubo's theme, while not necessarily embracing sadness. No, no, it's more it's, family. Embra loving your family no matter what. Which is uh, usually the theme of a child's movie is that when everyone tells you that you're wrong, it's okay. Try harder. You, they're just jealous, or they'll understand eventually. Yeah, they they don't they don't know 
your destiny. They don't know your life, which can be done correctly. Absolutely. But yeah, like it, it gets, it gets a bit monotonous at times. It's like, you know, like, yeah, uh, people are going to tell me no, or people are going to be against me, but this deals with abandonment, both physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. um, Kubo uh, is a musician and he uses his gift to make living origami, which I disagree that it's not as adventurous as the other movies with its design because all that paper oh. and folding and the ocean scenes all are wonderful. I and I would agree. It's it, I'm sorry, uh, you misunderstand. I don't mean that it's not adventurous in the fact that it um uh, um, I, Coraline and Paranorman was much more experimental. Like, I still feel like they experimented with Kubo. I guess you're going to have to explain to me, because when you say experimental, and I look at the differences between Kubo and Coraline and Paranorman, I see Coraline and Paranorman being darker in that black clothes don't really fit in sort of way, whereas Kubo is more experimental in its choice of character development and its quest and what the themes are, personally. And again, I'm not saying that Kubo is not experimental. I'm, I'm saying, like, especially with visuals. And again, Kubo experiments, especially in the visual area. Um, especially, like, basically making paper folding uh, in, into it. Well, not an art form, but, like, uh, having stop motion with paper in it, which I know other movies or TV shows have done. Um, it just how crisp and clean it was is is amazing. Um, and yeah, the character I'm, I completely agree that it's experimental. I, I I guess what happens is you you misunderstand what I mean by the term experimental. Um, I mean with Coraline and Paranorman, uh, which if I'm not mistaken, which I, I'm pretty sure I'm not. They were their first two big budget features, or they were their two first features. You can see a difference in the kind of experimenting with Coraline and um, uh, in its visuals and its characters and everything like that. And you can even see the difference between all three of them in that, in that they're experimenting without a ton of experience. Paranorman, they're experimenting with some experience. With... Um, uh, Kubo, they're experimenting with a lot of experience. So what you're saying is the experimenting is more obvious earlier because it's rougher. Exactly. It's it, it's not bad. It's not, you, whenever you see the experimentation, it's not like, oh, this is bad. Um, I see I see a good story that's rough around the edges. I see a great story with some minor flaws, with some flaws. And then I see a fantastic story. with Ooh. If there's any flaws, I... Not 100% sure what they are. Well, we'll break it down to Coraline, because Coraline is the only one, to my knowledge, based on an existing property so closely. Like, I knew at each part where we were in that story. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why we wanted to do Coraline, because you actually read the... You can do it. Neil... Uh... Come on! Crap! I, it's Gah, not, no, so like, I, like I keep. I want to say Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> or Neil Blomkamp, uh, uh, which is um, Neil uh, Gaiman. Gaiman, dang it! Oh, I, Very I, big, babe. Gotta know his name. <laughs> Becky is gonna kill me for not knowing that. Um, uh, 
the voice acting in Kubo is real spectacular. There are a lot of names that you would recognize. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's none, actually not a huge cast, either. It's yeah. So they were able to kind of focus on the characters they a little bit more. They have their main characters, and they play them yeah. that way. Um, I will say that uh, the more and more that I see uh, a certain character's uh, performance in roles that I'm like, why are you here? The more I grow to really, really like him, and that's Matthew McConaughey. Yes, uh, and uh, Matthew McConaughey plays uh, an interesting character. It's, it's, it's actually a little bit out of his norm, I would say, because um, Matthew McConaughey is usually that suave, kind of know-it-all, kind of bit of an asshole character, whereas this one... He has the the suave and a bit of the swagger that Matthew McConaughey has, but there's a lot of points where this character doesn't know what's going on, or He's the character playing very, with some missing memories. Yeah, and it's actually it, and I felt Matthew McConaughey did a really great job. Um, and then of course, uh, someone's already uh, we've already discussed one of her other movies, uh, Charlize Theron, mm -hmm. um, another actress I like. I'm gonna have to start keeping a list of actresses I actually do like because people we have don't to believe... prove that it comes up often when an actress is mentioned. Oh, I can't stand her, and we're like, you know, Aaron, you say a lot. Uh, you have a lot of talk about female actresses you don't like, and, and so we have to keep a list of ones you do. Yeah, and it's it stinks because I like to think I'm a bit feminist. I don't know if I can truly call myself a feminist, but I like to think I'm a feminist. Well, that's why we have this but... podcast, babe, to keep tearing down your assumptions. Well, geez, thanks. <laughs> uh... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid, of course. Um, no, the only, the only complaint I have about you is that you squeak, but that's about it. <laughs> is that I, what? Squeak. Speak. On the podcast, you'd be the guy who'd be knocking the microphone if we had hanging microphones. All right, that's <laughs> enough. Uh, you know, are you sure that the squeaking chair is my only uh, complaint? I don't uh, feel comfortable sharing on air. How about that? <laughs> oh, we're going to have a discussion later. Uh, so, uh, yes, and Charlize Theron, uh, Charlize Theron plays uh, the this monkey character. So, so good. And, and again... Um, this one, um, I would actually have to say, though, uh, Kubo is probably my favorite of the main three lead vo vocals, uh, because how they're all dealing with one character, especially in the title. Um, so Coraline, with Coraline Norman for Paranorman, and then Kubo for Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, the, the, the actor that I, I know, his name is escaping me. Um, the actor that they got to play Kubo did a really, really great job. Yes. I f the other two actors, uh, Dakota Fanning for Coraline mm -hmm. and then, uh, an actor's name who I, I did not recognize but or they, remember importantly, for Paranorman. Importantly, they hire kids. Yes. 14-year-old Max to play these kid characters, as opposed to... <laughs> it's not Chris Pine playing a 17, immortal 17-year-old kid. Or it's not the freaking uh, new Lorax movie where they have Zac Efron uh, playing the kid Ted. Or Taylor Swift playing his love interest. Yeah, it's like, that's a little... little, little... No, that's her, probably her best acting uh, role to, to date, so... You know, maybe we should uh, talk about her career path one of these days. Ugh, no. That her, no, her and Queen come, Bee. She can't, she can't come to the phone, because old Taylor's dead. Ha! That's Any, a good one. Topical. Anywho. That won't age at all. Nope, no, well, none whatsoever. <laughs> yes. So, uh, with, so, yeah, the voice, and I, I would say, out of the three, it's the best, but it is certainly incredibly strong. 
they all make me feel things, but Kubo makes me feel things later. It lets me think. It, it is not afraid to deal death in absolutes, and it's not afraid to show that a happy ending isn't the traditional happy everyone survived and we're all just great and keen. It is uh, also not afraid to talk about mental illness because both of the, every guardian of Kubo's that we has come across something, has some sort of mental um, infirmity, yeah. something done to them in the past or they've always had it, um, which is a real, it, it encourages forgiveness in a way that you'd be hard-pressed to do in other movies where a villain is, then you, you have to forgive them. You have to be a bigger person. But, like, they never earned it. And with the way that they play this, it's, it is encouraged and it is inevitable, but it's also not a bad thing for it to happen. Yes. Um... I really do like the uh, animation, too. I think, Aaron, you might know better... But I know that some of these had CGI working in tandem with the stop motion. But that's the thing is, all three of them, if they did, it's hard to find specific In the scenes. way, yeah. Like, it's specific because they talk about, uh, like, moving the camera. You can move the camera wherever you want in stop motion. But I definitely feel like some shots, especially on the ocean or underwater, might have had some CGI assistance just with certain ways that they... Um, and again, it, it all works well. It's not yeah, like, a, it's hey, a, look at this. It's They used it to make them it, it to look better. Yeah, it, it's it's less of a, um, a completely separate limb and more so something that enhances. Um, like, I, and I think if it's CGI, it's like the minimalist as it could be or it's Light like sources, helping maybe? helping like maybe composite shots or something like Compositing that. Composite thank you. Yeah. Um so I, I think Kubo is an incredibly strong movie. It's a great movie. Um I wouldn't say it's for kids. I would I wouldn't say any of these movies are for kids. I would say they're more kind of pre teen, early teen uh, yeah. age. I'd um, say that. So uh but Liz, you said this one was your favorite? Yeah, I think Kubo is my favorite of these three. Okay. Well, um, do you want to give it a rating then? Oh, sure. Um, I would give Kubo a... I'm going to do it. 10 out of 10, so 5 out of 5 for me. Really? I don't think there are flaws. And if there are flaws, it's the flaws of, well, it's kind of a kid's movie, so maybe we'll throw in some jokes that are a bit more humorous, just in visual, as opposed to wittiness. But there are no fart jokes, and for me, that's really a good mark of a kid's. I, I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it's, that in kids it's, movies. It's a, it's a lowest common denominator thing, and, and and though some of my favorite movies have those in them, those aren't why I like them. So because a lot of times people are like, oh, I love it because they're really funny. Okay, well, what was funny? Oh, I love the fart jokes and make dick jokes, and I'm like, okay, was it funny beyond that? Oh, yeah, they had some things, some reactions, and like. Then, then all you liked were the, the bad jokes. Yeah. I give Kubo 5 out of 5 in the same way that I give Moana 5 out of 5. That there may be problems with the story, there may be problems with some of the characters, but it grips you immediately, lets you know who these characters are through minimal use of dialogue, really, and then propels them on a journey where their weaknesses become strengths, where they learn more about themselves. And sometimes their strengths become weaknesses. Yeah, and in the end, even if there were some things like this doesn't make any sense, 
the visuals overwhelm it and make it powerful. And I, I would absolutely agree. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that high of a score in my mind, but I, I would absolutely agree. Um, the characters themselves are probably the strongest characters in uh, the, the out of the three movies that we're um, that we're just, uh, talking about today. I, um, it's not my favorite um, because of how my favorites, uh, the, my favorites movie story just was impactful not only to me or not, not, not like impactful but like just how they got the message across so um i would give kubo i'd give it a 3.5 so um 8.5 out of 10 I, I think that's a really really fair score um i know it could easily be rated higher um, it's just with this, this five system, we're kind of, uh... Oh, it's not that. I like our five system. It's a good combination. I feel like our averages have always been reflective yeah. of what we think about it. But, you know, honestly, it's, it, uh, it takes a lot to jar me out of a movie and make me hate it. And I only have so much hate to give around, so I can only be so critical of so many things yeah, at once. Yeah, you've got a specific example of that from recently. Oh, yeah. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. But it makes me so sad. So, uh, but yeah, I think 8.5 for Kubo is a very, uh, very fair estimate. So All right. Are we going to talk about... We're going to talk about Coraline next. Cool. So Okay. So Coraline is based off the book by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. I read this book on a summer afternoon out in my hammock. Finished it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I was so freaked. <laughs> I was so freaked. I had to leave. I had to go in my car and drive somewhere and be around people. Like, I was scared shitless. Well, you're not necessarily a creepy or a horror fan. That's more my territory. Oh, it's and even so, then, I know. It's so uneasy. And the movie, honestly, does a very good job of adapting the source material. With well, the exception of a, like, a character, I think. They yeah, have it I, I know. perfectly, like, that's that's what it is in the book. They play it the same way. I know IMDb said that there's a um, uh, an added character in the movie. Uh, Coraline's friend. Friend, yeah. Yeah. So, but they... And you, um, you can tell. It's not, like, obvious, but you can tell that they are, uh, they, they try to make him integral to the story arc, and kind of in a way that makes Coraline weaker, which is an annoying little bit. But I do like that it wasn't just her on her own. It gives someone to help the character. Well, they it's were initially going to do this movie as just live action. And they were going to have uh, Dakota Fanning actually just look like Coraline. And Stop motion was a good call for this movie. I, I don't think this movie would, be, would have been nearly as strong if it wasn't, if it wasn't stop motion. Uh, the story of Coraline is a young girl moves with her distant parents who just don't seem to pay attention to her much anymore because they're really concerned with adult things. Yeah. She finds a door in the wall that leads nowhere, but at night she finds that it opens up and reveals another place where she has another mother and another father, and all the gloomy and depressing and weird things in her real life get turned into fanciful and still weird, but cool things in this other life. Like, think, um, uh, Corpse Bride. Corpse Bride, which is another stop-motion mo movie we didn't talk about, Corpse Bride, Corpse Bride easily could have been live-action. The only, the only good thing about Corpse Bride, um, besides having Danny Elfman sing again, 
Oh, I love it, man. Uh, uh, he... Uh, is the 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 visual differences between the, the lot the living and the dead, and it's and it's kind of a fun. That's a theme that you yeah. like in a lot of movies that we enjoy. I, I like I like showing the differences in that and but how they did it and like and Coraline does it as well too. I don't know if Corpse or Coraline came out first, but they both kind of show that instead of it being regular dimension and kind of other dimension, it's more so living and the dead. But they show, like, the living being kind of a little bit boring, kind of drab. Uh, what was that term from? Uh, we wouldn't watch the Scott brothers do their, uh, the Burke tour. They said, uh, grage. 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 Everything is kind of a, is kind of a grage. There's certain elements. It's not like where everything's black and white and certain things are color. It's more like everything's kind of a gray or a brown you've or a beige so, or something like that. You've seeped the saturation out of it. Which yeah. is what they do in Coraline, There's, too. They make it a yeah. bit grayer on this side of things they yeah. make everything just more vibrant there's still there's still like uh with corpse bride there's not as much co overall color but with um uh Coraline there's still definitely color like her hair is blue and it's blue in both sides of the spec or both sides both dimensions well she's she's kind of a bright and quirky person on her side she but she she's not really the only in. one. Did you notice that? She is not the only bright and quirky person there. Mm -hmm. Besides the people, because she moves into a house that's technically an apartment thing, but, like, they get, like, like the main, they get, like, all of the main floor, and then, like, the upper floor or the attic area is rented out to a guy, and then uh, the bottom, like, basement area is rented out to two sisters. Yes. So, um, is, uh, but she's not the only, like, actual, like, out there and quirky person when they go when they go clothes shopping and like she finds the gloves she uh uh there's a girl uh, quoting shakespeare while riding a stool like how are how is she and Coraline not best friends yet like good point like this is this is, what come on they play the distance and uh and meanness of her parents a lot stronger in the movie. Yeah, they don't even make... Too much. They make them completely... make the mom, at least, completely unlikable in a way that isn't realistic because a realistic depiction of a mother and daughter can be really devastating if done correctly um, with well, the mother who's clearly just trying to make ends meet, make everything work, keep the house and in order. And she's in pain because she's wearing a neck brace because they were in a car accident, which I don't... Is that a bigger plot point in the, in the book? Because that's not... They they say they mention it in passing once. They say something again, and then there's like a dent in the car. But that's it. I don't recall. Um, if it is, it doesn't. It, I don't recall being integral to the the so theme of the why story. So have it at all? And they and too late. They try to make her sympathetic by saying, "Hey, you want to come with me? We'll go grocery shopping together." After being kind of like a straight up bitch to her daughter through most Stone of this. Cold like not even bitch. like just neglectful or absent like her father is, but more so like actively mean at her daughter for daring to interrupt her. Yeah, like very they, and there's a better way to play that. In the book it's played a lot more like, as I'm an these are adults and kids don't really get adult things, but it's a good thing because adult things kinda suck and you have yeah. to work and make so many things work. So like, I like I feel like they played it up to show the difference between how warm and loving the other mother appears to be at first. Tell me, but what at the you, same time, yeah. I was just like, I, I I honestly am like this is ridiculous. Like I'm supposed to actually feel this character can be redeemable at the end of the movie, 
And it was hard. It was honestly hard. The dad, yeah, he's absent-minded and he's busy at work uh, uh, writing something. But there's certain little things that he does throughout the rest of the movie. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he still loves his daughter. He's just really busy during the day. Like, I, I, I get that. And with the mother, I never really got that. Yeah, it was tricky. And they could have done it better. Yeah. Um, everyone else seems to come along well. There, uh, there are some... There's more disturbing they could have gone with as things begin to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. They there are some images yeah, I think they held, that I think, get real crazy. I think they I think they held back a bit because they wanted it to be a little bit more family friendly. I mean, Coraline gets creepy. Coraline gets super creepy yeah. at one point, or quite a few points. But it's like they do some crazy, crazy camera angles. Yeah, they actually use like I I, I remember saying to you while we're watching it because uh, again because we. A lot of my critiquing skills have come from watching Nostalgia Critic and how he, and, uh, how he talks about some films overuse, cough, cough, uh, uh, Battlefield Earth, uh, overuse Dutch angles. Or and, the we Dutch saw, angle. and we saw Dutch angles. And we angle. saw one, and I'm like, and I instantly recognized it, but it's like, it worked so well. It was perfect. Yes. Perfectly done. Um, there is a lot uh, to really enjoy about the, the vagueness of everything. And gaming does as well, too, where we, in the end, don't really know what the other was. We have no idea what the other yeah, mother... Yeah, they never we know fully explain it, like, and they don't even explain what she's exactly doing to uh, these people that she brings over. Like, yeah, it's made to be that she's the master of this particular universe creating something, and then we find from other characters who have passed... That it started out that way, and then it turned out she really just wanted to keep them there forever. All and these real, yeah. they um, they play her up in the book and in this as a spider, as a pricker of webs and builder of lies. Yeah. And but they never explain what she actually is. Yeah, because um, they 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 have a part with like a web, and she has kind of a spidery appearance near the end, but it's not really like, explain what she is or what this other dimension is. Which, th there have been plenty of times when I've watched a movie and I'm like, well, what the hell is going on? I want more answers. <laughs> but this left it... They gave answers visually. They gave answers uh, with character speak sometimes. Just enough where, like, I don't have every answer, but I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes not having all the answers is fine. Even though, <laughs> coming from the guy who loves game theory and uh, film theory. Right. <laughs> where they, like... like Let's explain Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay? Let's explain Five Nights at, Freddy, at Freddy's 2 through 11. I've got so many games, so many sequels. Um, Still love game theories. I will tell you, the ending of Coraline, the book, yeah. cuts off one scene earlier than it does in the movie. The movie has the scene at the well, and then has everyone in the garden and everyone's happy and we have all accepted our new family with odd people but that's okay and Riley brought his grandma and it's all pulls up and oh look the garden's growing the end of Coraline the book does not have that last scene yeah that's that's a little it bit that's literally like... ends on the most awful ambiguousness like this is done for now like uh the end dot 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 question mark that's what it is that's why it was so scary at the end like i was doing pretty good everything was good and then that final scene shows up i'm like oh my god it's that's not a, over it's not over stop it sounds like a uh uh 
uh, kind of a, a Goosebumps, Twilight Zone, like, like ambiguous could actually lead into something else. Yeah, like, it. everything's wrapping up and there's still 15 minutes left in this movie. What are you gonna... <gasps> yeah. Yeah, uh, Goosebumps is, like, the one I can think of that does it every single time. So, like, like something will get resolved and, like, in the last page, something, there's, like, a, a bigger, like, mm -hmm. a, a, like, a last twist. Like, yeah. Um, so... Coraline, I will wrap up by saying Coraline is all about the visual and the scares because with Neil Gaiman's, most of Neil Gaiman's work, it's not a morality tale. It, there are morals, but it's not the point of the story because we see in the movie and in the book that life over here is dull. So she goes to this other world where everything's cool, but then it all starts to fall apart. But the character doesn't really have an arc of, oh, I appreciate my family better now. It's more of just stop going into scary doors to other places sort of yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, there's not like a, you know, like, girls who enter scary doors become whores or something like that. You know, it's it's more like... This 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 happened to her, and I would say she's a little smarter for it, but not but it's like. But it's not her. like a, like oh, I've I. It, it's a morality thing. It's kind of Alice, maybe a little Alice in Wonderland. A bit, yeah, a I can see that. It, yeah, because the other mother, yeah, Alice in Wonderland. <sighs> yeah, not Tim Burton's bullshit. We can see with uh, even Corpse Bride, which I like for the pretty visuals, but mm -hmm. you can tell that they are not the characters are not as expressive visually. As they are in like a uh, productions. Yeah, the they're not allowed to move their uh, eyebrows too tall or get or get too like whoa. It's more like oh, this is happening in a, in the giant depth way. Yeah, it's um, it's the the facial expressions of Coraline are different because again, I don't think that they had were able to express as much because um, Coraline was an existing property and it was their first. Once so they definitely had a lot of training wheels and leashes that that they were able to get rid of in their later productions, so I think with uh, uh, with with Coraline the visuals some of, I remember thinking the visuals are really cool. There's a shot where she first opens up the door and like it shows the portal through um, to the other dimension and like it, like I physically think that they either stop motion or I feel like they actually had this thing that expanded like a almost like a the sleeve thing that we have for the cats the uh like where it's it lays almost like completely flat but then it expands and it's like almost got like the thin material I think you're right with that particular description um and the reason I know that is because I was reading an article about the woman who made all of the clothes for the yeah, figures she and hand knit hand everything knit. hand knit that, that is, is so you can see, so like cool. the, the 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 things are no bigger than her finger that she's knitting, and mm. I'm like, that is it blows my freaking mind. Like that is that is a very specific set of skills. Okay. But uh, <laughs> but uh, the visuals were really cool, and I uh, 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 I loved how like how they when they're actually bringing the like the portals closer together, like how you can actually physically like see it getting closer together. I won't say it's why like a, or something like that. What is it called? But... A dolly shot where it's a zoom uh, in, but it's not zoom yeah, in. Yeah, it's it's if it's not a dolly shot it's something pretty close uh the most famous example is uh the the cop on the beach for jaws when he's sitting there and he doesn't move but the background the depth of the uh field for the background you, goes deeper and you're like what the you fuck? change the zoom as you change oh. the location of the camera and they yeah. both work in tandem to create movement where there is none it is one of the coolest shots Ever because it is so simplistic, but it, it gives you that sense of unease. Hard to do well, yes. but it does very well here. And this, yeah, there's a, there's a few shots of that, and there's a couple in um, Paranorman too. I don't remember if there are any in Cuba. I don't think, mm -hmm. but 
But yeah, there's like when that shot is done well, it's very, very well done. So um, Coraline's visuals are probably its strongest points. Its characters are probably its weakest points. I, Coraline wasn't terrible. Um, I thought I would hate Coraline a lot more than I uh, than I did. Uh, I could not stand the mother. The like I I, I mean like I, I could tell that they made obvious choices that oh hey we want to make this woman non sympathetic but at the same time like by the time she starts being slightly sympathetic it's almost too late. So and and then even in even at the very end she's not fully sympathetic. She's mm -hmm. just kind of like. I'm adjusting slightly. It's yeah. come on. Um, the I felt like they wanted to have every character and then add one more. So I just felt like it was a bit too much. Though with the next one, there's way too many characters. <laughs> like that's probably that's probably my biggest complaint for the next movie. So, but um, I guess let's let's say a, um, uh, a score. I'm gonna have to say uh, I will say three for Coraline. Um, I agree. They add in the YB character, which doesn't exist in the original. Yeah, I didn't. I don't like how his head was always like lower than tilted. His yeah. Lower, it's like I, I didn't care about the tilting. It like I felt like his shoulders came up and then his neck went perpendicular. Definitely a character and, design and then, choice. Like, and then then it, then his head like I felt like his like his he was hunt his shoulders were overly hunched. Yeah. So I didn't like that. Um, I will say the book everything just felt just. A little bit creepier just because you're imagining things as books are and that certain things play out differently mildly <sighs> holy crap I just realized something oh my god what is it okay so the other mother creates this other world right yeah well how she sees through the other world is through the doll that she makes that Coraline is presented looks just with like her. that looks just like her I just realized the whole point of her going through the house and looking at all the creepy stuff, she has the doll in her hand the entire time. So the mother knows how to create everything. Yeah. Did, I, did, I just got that. Just Go got count that. the windows and doors, and she's yeah. there the entire time to look yep. at everything. So it feels more authentic. So, okay. Yeah. My bad. Sorry, I just realized that. I know. Well, that's, I, a cool, that's a cool thing to pick up on afterwards. And I interrupted you. I apologize. <laughs> um, the... Uh, Cat is just as sassafras in the book as in the movie, which is great. Keith, Keith David, incredible. Keith, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the show. The that cat is probably cats are usually my favorite character in most books because everyone has a different <laughs> interpretation of how a cat would act or does act. Because we all have cats who act very differently. I did like how they kept the cat completely silent in the um, in yeah. the real world. He doesn't have to talk in the real world. Yeah. He's a cat. Cats could choose to talk if they want to. They just don't want to. <laughs> and uh, and he, he was very Ch Cheshire uh, cat. Yeah. Uh, so they um, I don't even know if I'd say one is better than the other. I think the book has more scares, but it's so cool to see the visuals on screen. I'd say you could do either one first and then go do the other to see if you liked it. Yeah, I would almost suggest do the movie first, then read the book because what because well, no. No, read the book, then do the movie. So. I always find books to be a, little, a slightly bit creepier. Yeah. Movie's scary because you can you can do um, you can do like oh something went in front of the screen like what was that or you have um, not what do you call jump them? scares? Jump scares. Thank you. See, I don't I don't watch horror films. I couldn't even think of the word for jump scare. But a book 
has to work really hard to give you a sense of unease. You have to imagine everything that's happening. I always talk about how books versus movies are an active form of entertainment versus a passive form. A book is active. You must take it in and read it and imagine it. It doesn't just come at you like a TV show, which keeps going even if you're not looking at it. I would give uh, Coraline both book and movie 3.5. Okay, six point five for Coraline, I think is uh, I think is fair. Maybe a little bit on the lower side, but fair. I definitely enjoy it. It's more <laughs> over that the other two Leicas are better. Yeah, and and again, you can definitely feel like this is their first production, not because it was bad, but like compare, say, um, even even no, I would to say be it's even not to even be about... even fair. It's like to say Toy Story versus. Wally, like Wally, is not their most recent thing, but you definitely see a lot more technological advances between them and Toy Story. I would say though that being limited to your story and they follow game and story pretty much word for word limits you incredibly. So in ways that in a book it makes sense where she learns things and she figures out things. In the movie, things are just handed to her that make it easier for her to solve things. You don't see her deduce because it's not in her brain. You can't see yeah. her thinking it through how to solve see, these puzzles. And you see that more in the kind of the next two movies or the or the two the other two movies that we we have the Paranorman and Kubo Paranorman is definitely like he's deducing things himself he's definitely probably the the more deductive or detective-esque of the uh, three main characters yeah, and, so um, poor Neil Gaiman I know that no one says poor Neil Gaiman but for me I know he's great and I know his work is influential and important and so amazing to have I've never read a thing by his that I just loved, and I wish I did. <laughs> Even Stardust. Like, I really dig Stardust, but it's so far removed from we, most we, everything we else may have to. We may actually have to do an episode on that, because I liked Stardust. For Christmas? Why for Christmas? I don't know. For me, Stardust memories are Christmas memories, because that was one of the movies that we watched together when we were dating, and it was Christmas time, and the tree was up, and we sat underneath the lights, and we watched the movie next okay. to the fire. Sure. So I don't know. It makes me think Christmas. I, and and you, you hear me like giving in very easy, because I have been such a stickler about these Halloween things. Like I've, I've bent a lot on it, but I've been like, no, we're doing this type of thing, or we're doing this, this, and this. So Now, with... Uh, uh, Christmas. Liz is going to be kind of in charge of that one, so yeah. I'm going to be a little bit on, a little long for the ride for that yeah. one. So, but um, but the reason we're all here, or the reason why Aaron said we can't the, yeah, record this yet, we've we got to rewatch it for have... a fourth time to make sure we get everything. <laughs> Actually, it was only the second time that I've ever watched it. Really, really, my third. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. See, see, that's the thing too. Is I there are some movies I'll watch over and over and over and over again, and there's other movies that I can only watch once or twice ever. Like Dark Knight, I've only seen fully maybe three times. Yeah. Maybe and it came out in '08. Right. So, uh, but with um, you know, like Boondock Saints, I watched probably fifteen times. <laughs> um, I watched it once. Had to take twenty four hours to yeah. process. And then convinced that that was freaking awesome! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with the last movie, uh, Paranorman, is probably the most Halloween-esque. Because it definitely takes place definitely. in the fall. And it's almost... It's got a Salem town vibe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you can't help but think of, you know, witches and ghosts and demons when you think of Salem. Yeah, it's, uh, it actually takes place in a town called Blythe Hollow. 
which is a combination of two different towns. I forget what the Blythe one is, but then Sleepy Hollow, of course. So. Right. Uh, but it's about a boy who actually can speak to ghosts, um, who is... A la Haley Osment. <laughs> uh, who is uh, a big fan of like zombie movies and scary movies and stuff like that. Um and uh, is an outcast because he's a little bit off the beaten path from everyone else, and he feels isolated from his, you know, kids his own age, his family. The only people he really feels in, t- in touch with is the dead. So um, the he is tasked with um, stopping the witch's curse, which this whole town is almost built off of this story about how a witch was hung for witchcraft, and that she uh, cursed the seven people that judged her. So um, it's uh, it's kind of a fun little fun little romp around with it. But what happens is you think it's like oh it's all about this one way because at one point there's zombies and you know there's, there's some zombies and ghosts and witches. You're like okay this is super Halloween. It's you you think you know where it's going, but in reality you have no earthly idea. It is so. I forgot how long they buried the lead on that movie. Yeah. Oh They're, God, yeah. They, they buried it for, until near the near for the end. Forever they were burying that lead, and I'm like, okay. And so watching it, knowing the second time was really going on, you can tell that the director and people who worked on it really had a love of zombie movies. They make a funny parody of it. In the yeah. Beginning, and and like, they, at one point, like a woman is in the parody is like screaming, ah! and the zombie like is slowly and like she kind of goes. Ah! And like, and there's like a mic shot. She kind of pushes it out of the shot. Yeah, they have a great love of this scary culture, and you can see from yeah. the beginning shots because you think it's just gonna be a zombie movie. We just have this witch cloud in the sky that's not really doing anything besides bringing these seven zombies back to life, and it plays on all those zombie tropes like a lot. And the hunt for information in the library hunt with with every scary movie is always. Go find information in the library and yeah. figure out what to do to stop the bad evil. And, the, and like the first book they pick up is, oh my goodness, and it ends up like they don't end up finding it really at all. So the so. first, yeah, so the first little bit is the the outcast who connects more with the dead and the living, which is a really great trope to play off of. You can almost say this is like three movies in one. You can yes. say it's a ghost movie, a uh, zombie movie, and then a witch movie. Yes. And they do blend, but uh, in very specific ways. And then I forgot just how far they take the we are the monsters trope. Yeah. The zombies show up to town, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to go bad, but then they play on your expectations and actually make all these people who turn them into gun-toting hicks who will kill anything that moves. Well, it's really funny because uh, they're all from the Puritan age, which we think Puritans, pure or Puritans, are very, like, you know, staunch, like, like conservative, like, Oh, no sex, no violence, no, 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 only the Bible and a good hard day's work. You know, we, we think it's that, in reality, it's not, but they they kind of play up on that, because they end up going into, like, the downtown, town square area, and there's, like, you know, a gambling billboard uh, with a woman in, like, witch lingerie uh, having a drink in one hand and gambling in the other, and so, and, and then there's, like, there, there's People a TV shop. People eating fast food. And there's explosions on the television. Every you know, every sort of evil human. People walking trope. out completely drunk of a bar. You know, and it's it like and the, like they all kind of look around like oh, and then they start screaming. <laughs> so like that, doing stuff like that, turning these tropes on their heads almost completely is is it's really fantastic how they did that. So, um, I the 
the story itself, again, you don't really realize what's going on. And we're this is going to be one where I'm going to, I'm going to try to say like you no know, as little spoilers as we can because this is something you have to experience for yourself. And I will say just one that isn't, but for those in the know, the art direction of the villain. Yeah, no, well, we can say the witch. We can say the witch because he's put like in the cloud when because you uh, you see every a time you show every time they show her off whether in clouds or in lightning. Or in per, any... Like, in quote-unquote person. Like, yeah, abs- yeah, that, that's what I would say. Like, I, that's not a spoiler, but it's something we can talk about for a second. Because when... I remember sitting in the theater, because we went and watched it, I think it was around Halloween time, but I remember watching it in the theater and just being blown away by what they chose to do with uh, the witch, uh, like, how they show the witch. Because there's, like, multiple points, like, the witch will be speaking, and, like, a second head, like, just, like, kind of shoots out of her own head and comes back in, like, showing, like, a duality in, you know, decision-making and stuff like that, or duality in a personality. Not, not like, that she's um, split personality not or anything two-faced. like that. Yeah, she's not two-faced, or she's not, like, it's just, and it's kind of quick, and it's, like, but it's not a jump scare or anything like that, but it's so, like, it, I just, I remember, I remember thinking it then, and I think it now, it's just... It's probably one of the coolest ways to show that. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, whenever, Norman's never experienced this particular thing, but as we get closer to the day of the witch's curse, we see that his reality starts burning away like paper in a fire, and he starts being transported back in time. Yeah, and he's seeing, he's seeing visions, uh, visions and happened. memories of things that he never had a part of. So it's, um, it's very interesting. Um, I, I would say uh, that the story, the story in my mind is the strongest, not because it's overall the strongest, because Kubo would be overall the strongest. It would be because of the buildup, the payoff, and the aftermath. I think all of those combined just, in, in my personal opinion, it's just, uh, it's a stronger, it's, it's a stronger story, so... Um, now, I will admit, as I said earlier, there are way too many freaking characters. Like, um, there's the you main... You think you've been introduced to the cast of main characters who will fight the zombie horde and take care of it, because they're all very different and unique, yeah. both in design and appearance and in personality. You think, oh, okay, this is our cast. And then we completely switch again to an entirely different cast of five. Yeah. Uh, it continues it again and again. Yeah, you're like, what the hell is that? And, like, none of the characters are just, like, like throwaway gags or something like that. It's just they, they get brought up. They're in for, you know, a few scenes. and then. Boy, I definitely, I don't like the older brother of Norman's friend. Feel better for a white character than me. He's not, though. I think the payoff for him is probably one of the better payoffs. You said you said so the first time we watched that. No, movie. the first time I said that, I'm like, well, that was kind of weird. No, you you loved it. No, you yes, you, you did. loved it. No, you loved it. I know for a fact that you said that. You're like, I love that they did that with the character. So it's very. And then the second time watching it through, I actually see little subtle hints too. So perhaps I did think that at the time when I first watched it. Rewatching it, I'm like, well, that just made him a joke. Then he's not necessarily a joke, but I I like it, and you, I, I'm not. A joke. You like it for you the reason it. you get to shout what you want to shout afterwards, like, oh yeah, and you're like, well, okay, sure, but did that really add anything to the story? No, 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 no. The sister, and the thing is, is the, okay. So if if the the older brother of the best friend didn't really add much to the story, the 
best friend didn't add much to the story either. He was the first person to accept Norman for who he truly was. Okay, I'll, I'll see that. And that is why it's important. Except for his grandmother, who was dead. Dead. <laughs> uh, dead grandmas do count, but he yes, was the, the first. he was one of the first kids equally bullied who wants to be Norman's friend, even though Norman is different yeah, and no one else yeah. likes him. He's like, it's okay, I want to be your friend. I didn't realize in the first watch through that, uh, until I didn't watch until the second watch through, I'm sorry, do you have a bug or something? Yeah, there was a bug. Sorry, uh, it flew over my face. All of a sudden, I see Lewis like fainting in front of her face. I'm like, does well, something it, stink? No, that's why I didn't <laughs> smack it. I didn't want to let the viewers know that there's a bug here. And of course, I'm just now spending an hour just talking about how this bug was in my face. So, uh, I didn't realize in the first one, but like how they kind of like come back together at the end, Norman and the the best friend, I forget his name. Mm -hmm. um, but it... There, the but the there is some problems with the best friend character though. Like you want to talk about like fart jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. It, he didn't he didn't go as far as like fart jokes, but they did have a kissing a butt joke at one point. And, there always is in real good films. Like you see most of his jokes in the trailer, and luckily there is a shit ton of humor beyond that, or else this movie would not have been nearly as good. Because I and again I forgot I thought this movie was a little bit more serious than it actually is. It actually allows humor to bleed through on areas that you wouldn't expect initially. Like, there's one point before the zombies walk into the center of town, there's a guy kind of in a little bit of an alleyway getting a bag of chips. And he's seeing it, and he, he's like, you know, he pushes in the button, and then all of a sudden he hears something, he looks over, and there's like a zombie. And he like goes, oh, and he looks back at the chips, and like, and he sees the chips are like having trouble getting all the way through the spiral, and he looks back, and they're like coming, and he's like, and he looks back at the chips, and they're still not out. And he, he kind of keeps starting back and forth, and he starts like going, ah! And he runs away, and the bag of chips fall. And it's all it's this, it like, he like, he looks up, and he screams, and he runs, and it's the same shot. And the, you see the chips kind of fall off on the side of the frame, and you hear him go, ah! And grabs the chips and runs back. So, like, there's a lot of, like, in, in, I would say in all three of these movies, they have some of those moments of humor that are a little bit unexpected, a little bit, like, out of the norm so if we want to talk about unredeemable parent characters though i find the dad in paranormal to be pretty much unredeemable until the very end and even then it's like too little too late yeah that's that, that was a big that i have to agree um i like jeff garland um not only as a voice actor he voiced the captain in uh wally yes he did uh jeff and he's actually a hilarious standing com comic as well i'm not i don't watch curb your enthusiasm so i've not seen that but uh yeah i would have to agree because i had a complaint that they don't make compelling in the right way female characters because the mother is not very good uh, i would say i would say her... if they're outside a main group like main villains for Coraline or main characters for Coraline, um or main secondary characters for Paranorman or main characters for, uh, uh what is it called? Kubo. Uh, Kubo. They don't really are able to do that. And it's really, I have problems with specific characters. Courtney, the older sister of Norman, probably I, w the first time I watched it was my least favorite ca character. Now is not because she does kind of redeem herself. She does kind of stand up for Norman. She's very believable because she's in a way that the father is not. Yeah. Like as believable as she is, the father is like over there, like these darn kids are you hooligans, like. And the mom, for some reason, they decide to give her a 
little side hints that the reason she's accepting of Norman is not that she just truly loves him and would always love him no matter what, but that she's into astrology and uh, signs. Yeah, like that she's like, that she hides. Why? She hides like that part of herself because she wants to be. She wants to kind of be normal, but still lets, lets it come out every so often. But that's not all made clear or part of it, and weakens her character because she could just be a mom who loves her and child. I feel like Leslie Mann tried her best with his character. Um, you, you, the name may not sound familiar, but you would know who this. Most people know who this actress is. Her face is very recognizable. Um, this is forty. She actually is married to Judd Apatow in real life. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, I felt like she tried her hardest with this character. But I just feel like some like some of the scenes was just like she's. She's a mother, and she's a very doting mother, at least on Norman, or she can be, and she's she tries to be the peacekeeper, but she, it, she it's hard for her to do that because her husband can be an asshole. They just made her the weak housewife, and that's very yeah, distracting exactly. to see. Yeah, I I didn't like that either, and there's I I, I was not crazy about that at all. Oh, I, I the last thing we forgot to talk about was uh, ending credit songs. Uh, well, the current. Coraline, excuse me, Coraline didn't really have one. Paranorman had a kind of a fun one. Well, Paranorman has a, has a song. It's Little Ghost, which is by the White Stripes. So it already is a yes. Did you not know that? That did not sound like the White Stripes at all. Because it's her singing. Look it up right now. I'm looking because I don't know this up, when I heard a... this first song, I couldn't buy it individually on iTunes. So I went out and bought the White Stripes album from the case so I could listen to it. And it's Little Ghost. Which is fun. It's got this fun jangly beat to it, and it's just about her falling in love with a ghost that no one else can see, and it's fun in that charming way. And it's very, um, uh, it's very fitting because it's kind of offbeat but like accessible. Still. Yeah, it's fun. It's super fun. Um, but the really cool song, my particular favorite, is yeah. Kubo's final credit song, which is a cover of "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" by but Imogen. No. Uh, I can look it up here. See, in that seconds. one I'm not sure on, but I'm fairly still sure about the White Stripe Bill Ghost. It's, um, it's definitely... Um, <laughs> it's a really fantastic You're 100% right. Solid! For the I, win! I was 100% def- wrong. And that was years ago, so I remembered yeah. that. It was I couldn't buy it individually, so I had to go buy the album. <laughs> Which is but fun. I like the White Stripe. Like, like, I really wish this could have been nominated for um, Regina Spector. Thank you. Thank I you. really wish it could have been nominated for a Best Original Song, but it couldn't because it's, it's, a a, cover. it's a cover. But she but does it's a like, great job like, with it. It's, like that Japanese guitar, yes. like, like that kind of twin. The sound of the Japanese bing, guitar bing, is bing. wonderful. And her voice works really, really really well with it too so um it's kind of it's a it's a it it, it was a solid effort overall for that song so um but back on paranorman uh but yeah because i would say kubo's is the best out of the three but paranorman um is my favorite of the three i love the visuals they do some really fun things it's not the strongest character wise it is not the strongest um it doesn't take as many risks visually, but I feel like what they do, they do strongly with. So, um, but go, let's do your uh, um, rating first. Okay. In much the same way that the first ten minutes of Up make everything else after that re- irrelevant, and it has become a great movie because of that. I find you know the rest of Up is enjoyable. But it's the first 10 minutes that everyone remembers. <laughs> in much the same way, the final 10 minutes of Paranorman are what make this movie 
so important, I think, to you especially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I, I do, because we were just talking about sound, um, I realized with the second watch through that Paranorman does different things with sound. Yeah, at one point, like, he has a scary ringtone and kind of scares him a little bit, but they... You they mean play. diegetic versus non-diegetic sound? Sounds that exist in the world versus sounds that are your soundtrack that only audience hears? Sort of. I, I mean, like, um, if it's a quieter moment, they allow it to be quieter. They don't have to have something Oh, yeah, they have, a cutoff. yeah. they have a cutoff of visual and sound in that last ten minutes where everything just stops. And there's and there's there's other times when the sound stops and you don't realize it because you're actually focusing on what's going they on. They also do, so. during the zombie scenes, have a tense bass line going like they do in the parody of the hot yeah, horror movie at the beginning. So, sorry, I just forgot that I wanted to say that. So, Yeah. It's it's worth it for those final minutes because the moral, as it were, the theme of the story and the importance of it, I think is really relevant when it first came out, perhaps even more so today. Yeah. That fear can make people do terrible things. And it's it's absolutely like how we were saying, like family is coo- like kind of the overall o- overarching theme for Kubo and for Coraline is um I, I had one for Coraline I'm actually kind of forgetting it mm-hmm. um I want to say it was kind of like I think it's just about the scares honestly I know that there's for Cor- no, no no not for Coraline no no no, no. Give but the Coraline moral more credit no but what I'm saying is the moral isn't appreciate what you have or learn to grow up or if there is a moral or Fine. a story it's super ambiguous yeah like the other ones are a little bit more clear cut but because they're so clear cut they can go deeper with it with Coraline it's more surface but it might be like a kind of, it might be kind of appreciate what you have or find the good in what you have or the grass is not always greener type thing so right. it's not explored the best but with these other two it sinks really deep. So, but with Paranorman is fear, and I would say bravery as well. Bravery in the face of fear. Uh, what's the quote? Bravery is not the absence of fear, but rather the actions chosen uh, um, uh, while okay. afraid. It's okay to be afraid. So I, I, Just I, don't I, let I, it change who you are. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. This is an actual quote. Like someone, I think I want to say it's like. I want to say it was JFK or someone like that, or even George Washington. It may have been. I, th- oh, I thought you, it was a resident. You mean it wasn't Steve Jobs? No, really. <laughs> uh, that bravery is not the absence of fear, but rather it is what what actions are made um, during being afraid. It's something along those lines. All you have to so. do is decide what to do with the time that is given to you. I don't know why you're changing. That's the that's the that's the quote. I don't know why you're trying to change it. Like that's an actual quote. I'm just messing up the last part of it. So. I know. I'm just pulling all of the different pop culture references I can think of for when that particular. Why? Because it's brought up all the time in movies. Okay, we're not talking about other movies. We're talking about this. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought the point of the podcast was to not stay on topic and go on tangents. I'm trying to wrap up, and I'm trying to say that... The, the, well, you're doing it terribly, because I haven't seen that at all yet. <laughs> I will break this plate over your head. <laughs> so, uh, with with Paranorman, it's about fear and about bravery in the face of fear. So, um, it's very... And again, how they explore... If you want to just stick with one, how they explore fear itself. Not just, like, jump scares or, like, having your heart pounding, but even deeper beyond that, like decisions that people make and the outcomes and aftermath and whew, 
fallouts and everything like that. So, um, what is your rating? Four out of five. Four out of five. I I think that's uh, I feel like that's very fair. So I'm gonna say because I'm gonna say. I think after the first viewing, I would have said 4.5, but I'm going to stick with 4 as well. So 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. I think that's so, solid. 6.5 for Coraline, 8.0 for Paranorman, and 8.5 for Kubo and the Two Strings. 8.25. 8.2. Now that we've put them in ranking. Well, no, I, I want I want a Paranorman to be ranked slightly higher than Kubo. But you Just, didn't. Um, you ranked it as 4, not 4.5. You could have, but you didn't. But we didn't rank uh, uh, Kubo 8.5. Mm -hmm. I picked 5 and you picked 3.5. Oh, okay. Yeah, never mind. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you just want to negate my points, I see. I, I, I won't rate Kubo and Coraline the same. So, uh, But yeah, I, uh, all three of these movies are a definite checkout. And we got, we forgot to do the vlogs at the beginning again. Um, it's never gonna happen. Our no, we did it once. We, we did it once. We're going. We're 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 gonna do it again. We'll we put a post-it note so next time we record on the microphone it says. Do plug first. first. Right. So uh, all three of these movies are definite checkouts. Coraline probably try to read the book first if you want to or if you can. Good creepy Halloween book. Yeah, it's a short read. You can do it in a day. Kubo is not necessarily a Halloween or fall movie, but it is a movie you can watch at any time. Oh, so. Yes. If you're looking for a Halloween movie, the other two. Uh, if you're looking for just a good good family movie, a great family movie, Kubo, absolutely. So, um, Paranorman is probably going to be in my repertoire of uh, essential Halloween movies now. Coraline, I was thinking about, but not so much. Like, If I had to pick between the two, I would absolutely pick uh, Paranorman. So, um, But, with that being said, uh, I think we need to completely wrap up because we are running really late. <laughs> Uh, extremely late. Wait for a lunch date anyway. Um, yeah. You can find us on Facebook at Married to the Idea. You can email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. You can tweet us, Married Number Two, the Idea. And we're online at our website, Married to the Idea. .com, and we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for Married to the Idea. And we're also on Twitter, Married Number Two. I did the... say Twitter. Oh, did you do that? I okay, said if sorry. you wanted to tweet at us. I didn't oh, say sorry. Twitter, which might have thrown you because you're very concerned about time right now. Sorry. <laughs> as we take more time to explain, so that's my bad. Uh, since we are finally in Halloween, if you want to tweet out what Halloween movies you think we're going to be talking about, we have a pretty big list, Yeah. but if there is a general consensus, general consensus among listeners who are like, but please this, if we have differing opinions on it, we will discuss it. Yeah, we're, we've got a pretty good list, but you know, we could possibly uh, exchange one or two to kind of especially if we're like oh i hated this movie really i loved it you know or like oh the book was better or something like that so and if you know any thanksgiving movies tell us <laughs> yes we would love to hear any ideas for that as well so um until then she's been elizabeth he's been aaron and, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea, idea.